0: Today's episode of Daily DVR Dives into Veronica Mars is sponsored by our presenting sponsor, CuffLinks.com. Go to CuffLinks.com now and use code DVR20 to save 20% off your order, no minimum. That's right, the whole shebang, baby. DVR 20. Use it. You need a belt. You need cufflinks. You need ties. You need like a pocket square. Come on. Look good. Elevate your style when you walk out the door in the morning. Go to cufflinks.com slash DVR today. They have everything you need and they got a great blog over there too that'll help you if you have an event coming up. So go over to cufflinks.com slash DVR today. Welcome to Daily DVR Does Veronica Mars. My name is Axel, and my co-hosts today are the amazing Ken and Sean. You can find out more about us at DVRpodcast.com. I'm currently covering Mindhunter with Heath, and we're starting up The Watchmen with Aaron. Check that out. They have their own feeds. You can also subscribe to Daily DVR. Also, consider supporting us. Get tons of our classic Lost Mythos and Film List podcasts, by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash DVR. You can send your feedback for this show or any shows to DVRpodcast at gmail.com. Today, we're back with a wide-ranging discussion of the Veronica Mars series. Last time Sean joined us, we tackled season four. We talked about what may come. Um, So today we're going to chat about the previous three seasons. We were talking a bit before about our favorites, kind of loosey-goosey, just enjoying kind of coming to the end. This is probably going to be our last Veronica Mars podcast for a while, Um, you know, until they announce season five. And then we'll probably preview that. And uh, we just thought we'd have some fun today. So I'm going to say hello to Ken. Ken, how are you doing?
1: I am doing great. Uh, Had a blast. Um, the last time that the three of us talked, looking forward to kind of putting a bow, at least in this chapter of the Veronica Mars saga. Um, and then, like you said, just w- waiting to see when the announcement is going to come about season five. But it'll be nice to talk about like the series as a whole, what it's meant to us and just some fun stuff about the entire series.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Sean, how are you? I'm doing fine, and I forgot to mention this last time, but uh, last time that we did this, I was wearing my Always Take Backup t-shirt, which is is a shirt that Television Without Pity put out, and Backup, of course, being the name of the dog that uh, Veronica and Keith owned in the first couple seasons, and because I did laundry yesterday, I'm wearing it again today. Ah oh,
0: nice. All right. That is awesome. All right. Well, let's uh let's kind of get into it. Um when we when we had kind of left off, we were kind of just going back and I know that you had some thoughts about like which seasons you like the best. So kind of let's start off there. Sean, you had in your notes that you still like season one the best. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? And we'll kind of use it as a jumping point for Ken and I to discuss which seasons we enjoyed.
2: Okay. Well, the first season I thought was the best in doing the arc, the best at the uh, mysteries of the week, um, the best that pulled you emotionally into the characters. Um, I mentioned that I got into watching the show because of the reviews, and there were two names that popped up in the reviews that you know I, that kept me, that made me want to watch this. One was Buffy Summers, because this is another show like Buffy that was trying to depict the emotional truth of a high school show. Sort of like my so-called life, and freaks and geeks did, yeah. but at the same time introducing that heightened element that Buffy did so well, and they nod towards that in the movie when um, you know Piz says of Neptune Hyde actually does sit on a hellmouth. <laughs> and the other name that popped up a lot was Nancy Drew. Which, by the way, they're doing a new a new version of on the CW later this week. And while the Nancy Drew books weren't may have been not always the greatest quality in how all the stories were written. Nancy Drew herself was always an interesting character because she was dogged, persistent, intelligent, um, relied on her friends. And she, well, she often got herself in the trouble. She wasn't waiting for someone to come rescue her. She would often try and get out of her predicaments herself. Yeah. And it also had the good father daughter relationship, uh, with her father Carson drew. And again, the show started of tip the tat to that in season three when um, they go in an episode where they go to this keith and veronica go to this one place and introduce themselves as carson and nancy drew but you know they were able to work with those predecessors and yet set their own path in season one and you know Everything I thought was clicking on all cylinders during that season.
0: Yeah, those are some good points. Have you seen the new, there was just a Nancy Drew movie that came out. I know it's on HBO now. Have you? Did you get a chance to see that?
2: I didn't see that movie. I saw the movie they did um, several years ago with Emma Roberts as yes. Nancy yeah. Drew, which I was not a fan of. Because they were playing too much of the, um, oh, retro Nancy in the modern uh, world. And I thought it got yeah. a little too cutesy. I haven't seen this one yet. My, um, what my impression of it, and granted, this is only going from the very few reviews I read from it but it looked like they were pitching the movie to tweens. So, you know, it's possible that this is just not for me, but we'll see. I'm not going to judge it without giving it a shot. But, you know, I have seen, as I said, that Nancy Drew movie. There were a couple of previous TV um attempts you know i remember the one from the 70s that was a tie-in with the hardy boys i'm sure i I watched that when i was a kid though i barely remember it yeah and then there was another um tv version in the 90s i think that was on canadian tv and that one wasn't bad but Mm -hmm. i haven't seen that in a while either the movie I only I saw about like maybe the
0: first half hour of it I was I was actually trying to watch it a little with Lachlan but I think it was a little bit over his head um, mm. but it was uh, it was kind of cool they, I think it's the girl from It um, okay redhead from It is the star of it and she is uh, but they definitely you could see aspects the reason why I mentioned it is because even in the very beginning of it you can see some kind of Veronica Mars. Like it really hits you and it's funny how, you know, how art is where one thing influences another and then they, now they remake everything. So then it's actually influenced by something that was based on it, not the real thing, you know? So I felt like that Nancy Drew was very Veronica Mars from the music and just the way it was shot, the feeling of it right away when it started, I was like, wow, they really took a lot from Veronica
1: Mars here. isn't that cool how like art will like it's it's one of the things i love about art in general is how it's ever evolving and how it bleeds into itself and ends up kind of influencing other things and then and then like when this show is now revived years later then then it comes full circle and, and it ends up kind of re-catching the thing that it's given to other things. Yeah. It's just, it's just really interesting kind of the ebb and flow of how stories can influence other stories. And then it goes on and on and on. Um, as far as the seasons go, I always think that like the way I always think about it now is that my head, no, my heart wants to say season one, but my head always wants to say season two is the best season. And really that's, and you and I talked about it so much when we were talking about season two, I can never get around the sheer ambition of season two. Um, Was it perfectly executed? Did they hit all of the points that they absolutely wanted to hit with perfect execution? Absolutely not. Was it messy, overly complicated? Absolutely. Absolutely. But just the brava storytelling that was attempted—just I have to, t- I always have to tip my hat ultimately to what they tried to do in season two and how they expected the audience to keep up with them and you had to really like take notes and be on your a-game and it was requiring something of the viewer that not a lot of shows were asking viewers to do at that point because um which is to like not only pay attention but to become intellectually invested in the story and to remember this odd side character who is going to appear like a season later and play a pivotal role and you just have to remember that and so because of that i always have to in my mind i always give season two just a little bit like it's like a photo finish but season two just may edge out season one for me, like I said, if for no other reason than the pure ambition of season two. Yeah,
0: yeah. I think it's always uh, – I you know, I, I feel what you're saying about your head and your heart. And yeah. the differences between seasons one and two for me, my, I, I would have to say that I think that the best season is the last season is season four. I think it was the, I think they reached potentials in more of the adult storytelling um, that I enjoyed and the production that I enjoyed, but my heart, I have to go along with Sean on season one that it was just – and it's like that with all kind of TV shows when you start making – that's why I'm terrible with lists because I always want to say the first thing because sure. I kind of wear my heart on my sleeve and I, I – that was my introduction To Veronica Mars and the characters and the great things that you pointed out, Sean, the way you're introduced to this character who really tries to do things herself, but is also a realistic teenager, the way she changed dramatically, right? Yeah. We come in, she's kind of like the black sheep. And we, ha- we find out slowly that backstory while we're also finding out about the mystery mixed with great music and side characters. And there was kind of a joy in that creation. And though I totally see where you're coming from in season two, because I respected the way that with all the problems uh, that they had production wise, right, with the network and everything. They still tried to do something bigger, you know, they didn't say, oh, wow, that was tough. Let's pare it back a little bit more, (laughs) you know, like (laughs) more of the network's notes. they were like, no, we want to make that. We still want to try to make this work more the way we can see it be. Um, So it's kind of tough. Obviously, I think none of us are choosing season three, um, which is a tough nut to crack. But it still has a lot of enjoyable moments, a lot of great moments, and a lot of um, aspects of characters that they continued on through the books, film, and season four. Uh, But a lot of stuff that kind of was just there, that was, you know, for the network. So I'm going to have to go, I guess if someone was to ask me, I say my favorite is season one. But I do think that season four, just coming off of it, I'm still in a little bit of awe about the way that they were able to mix the fan stuff I love, the heart stuff, but still kind of upgrade it with more of an adult angle um, and challenging Veronica too. Because I felt Mm -hmm. season four brought back some of that stuff of season one. You know, like, how is she going to actually find her place in the world? Which I found really interesting from season one.
2: Yeah, I mean, um, it's important to remember, you know, that when you guys were talking about in season four, how um, people were calling on calling out veronica's behavior and saying that you know you don't have to be like this all the time you can still function and try and relate to people better and not always have to put up the hard front all the time that was happening in season one too true Think of the episode, Like a Virgin, which is one of the best episodes they ever did, in my opinion. That's the one where we first meet Meg, um, the one, one of the few on'iners niners who still likes Veronica and who Veronica still likes, And the mystery of the week is when Veronica is helping Meg out. And at the end, Meg tells her, you know, it was very good advice you gave me to get tough. But getting even, you might just want to rethink that a little bit.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we're three dudes, ultimately. But that, I mean, you saying that, Sean, makes me think about, how this show from the very beginning has also been among the like 100 things that it is. One of the things it is was it was specifically a high school exploration, but specifically from a young girl's point of view and not just Veronica. There are lots of female characters that were focal points from the first season on. Um, And, and that was also interesting especially at the time, because it felt so different. I mean, we're now living in kind of a Me Too time where the storytelling of Veronica Mars starting right from the pilot, uh, like, I almost feel like society's dialogue has caught up to Veronica Mars season one all these years later. But all the way back in season one, I I, I was often challenged um, as a man, not just a viewer, but as a man about some of the storylines that some some of the storytelling that was happening in the overarching mysteries in the mysteries of the week, because so much of it had to do with women and the treatment of young women in this world and. Um, and it's it's some and some of it was really heavy stuff, and some of it was really uh, provocative stuff. Um, and and so that kind of strain of like who should Veronica be, what kind of woman should she be? I I think that's been one of the most interesting things about the entire series.
0: Definitely and 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 part of the thing, Sean, you had mentioned in your notes some of the um the 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 stuff that got past the censors,
2: yeah. oh yeah,
0: <laughs> first seasons, and while you were talking yeah. about something so meaningful, Ken, it made me think that, like as a man and watching her journey and it was it got me on the deep level, but what also attracted to me me to Veronica as a character and it's something that I kind of can appreciate in real life is when a woman and especially in high school or whatever would talk openly about sex and be dirty, you know, and a little bit kinky and kind of she had that that aspect of her where we're able to see that deep journey and understand things from her perspective but we're also able to see a character who has a lighter side, right? And who also is kind of realistic, you know, about maybe how guys see her. I mean, throughout the entire series, there there is always her reaction to the male gaze, right? How a yeah. man sees her. Oh, I'm little, I'm young, I'm pretty, I'm too cute to be a detective, I'm this, I'm that, Right. So, um, but I did want you to mention that, Sean, because some of these are fantastic. The rim job thing. And I always remember remember the shocker when you told me that one.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that was, you know, that when, you know, when I mentioned last time, I didn't remember specifically talking to you, recommending this show, at least I recommended to everybody, but I do remember talking to you about the shocker and, um, You know, for those listening at home, that was from the season two premiere. uh, Normal is the watchword. And that's a hand gesture that Logan and uh, Dick did when they were sitting by the pool at the Casablanca's house. And I remember the reaction on the television without pity forums is about a third of the people were going, huh? Because they didn't recognize what the gesture was. And then the third of the people were like, and then the other third were like, damn, I can't believe they got away with that. Yeah. And that really shocked. um, Yeah. Rob, I remember at the fan event in Austin that I mentioned last time, Rob Thomas, when they asked him about that was very upset because he was not on the set that day. And, uh, you know, they did it without his knowledge and he was very surprised, shocked that they, uh, got it by the censors. So, yeah, that was one I remember. And
0: I remember too, because that, that made me think, okay, this isn't like a kiddie show. You know what I mean? Like I start, because if we remember the time, you know, there weren't that many shows like that. So I'm like, man two in the pink one in the stink this this show is dirty
2: um you know in retrospect in the first two seasons um it seemed like um you know i'm reminded of that sports night episode where um one of the characters says, wait, we have actual standards and practices? And at the UPN, they didn't. (laughs) And by the way, I just want to say, you know, I had been telling friends about in season four when um, they referred to Dick Cosimoikos' father as Big Dick that, at the fan event, Rob Thomas had mentioned that that was one thing the censors wouldn't let him do was call him big Dick. But, uh, and then it's not in season four. Great. That's the first time he's able to do that. Unfortunately, I forgot the fact that he did get to do that in season two. And the, I think it was the episode, the quick and the wed, when Kendall is visiting Aaron in prison, Aaron calls him Big Dick.
0: Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. They got you had some other one. You had some other good ones when uh, Weevil says, "Finally, a deep throat I can call my own."
2: Well, Veronica says <laughs> oh. that about Weevil, but yeah, that is that is really funny.
0: They, it was great. There were so many great, and yeah, the, the way they dealt with sexuality and sex, I think was really forward thinking. And it was because, and I think it was much more realistic because, you know, you had at the same time, you know, like I came up with what, like even 90210 or something like that, where they felt that they were dealing with something so adult, like, you know, they're going to have sex or something. And on Veronica Mars, it was just a part of the
1: world, right? Well, like, it you know, wasn't this big, Oh, Oh, Well, if you think about it, in season two, there was a mystery of the week, kind of offhandedly, like revolutionary. There was a mystery of the week in season two where the resolution of it was that a lesbian jock was behind outing gay students because she wanted to to date her girlfriend openly. She wanted her girlfriend to come out of the closet. Yeah. like she like she was willing to do. And when and at the time you're just watching the episode, it's another mystery of the week, but then I think back on that and I think wow, just how casually Rob Thomas and his and his crew of writers dealt with a storyline that at the time, there's not a lot of TV shows at the time dealing with lesbianism period. Um, But here you have an entire storyline where a a lesbian character is outing her girlfriend so that they can date openly. I I mean, I love things like that. And I
0: think that's why – I can see why you appreciate season two in that respect, Ken, because I think they did push that stuff more. And they they really um, made it a part of Veronica's world and made it a part – because it is a part of the world – and yeah. they made it it just was you know they didn't feel like they had to insert some sort of uh stabilizing um parent or so you know what i mean like somebody that would comment on this to show us the way or give us an opinion or right it was just yeah. no this is the way it was and and when veronica d- did that case or any of the cases it was so non judgmental Things yeah. were as they were. And that is what I think, in a sense, um, so, you know, sometimes you find that someone would say like a setting, having a high school setting, you have kids, it's, it it closes what you can do. But Rob was able to find a way to open it and open it through actually treating them like they really were teenagers, not like they were teenagers on TV,
2: and no, I, that, I do. That's great. I do see that. Um the one thing that I would say about season 2 even though I agree with a lot of what Ken was saying about it and praise I guess what makes me a little hesitant about joining that praise is everything I read about it that suggests that it was done not just in the name of ambition, but because of utility. Um, Because, and I want to just emphasize that I'm, Doing this from what I read, yeah. you know, That's other people that I was involved with, other people I was involved with in Veronica Mars fandom, they actually had, you know, like somewhat of a relationship with Rob Thomas. I never did, you know, I met him at the event in Austin, have him sign DVDs, and that was it. But this is just for what I read that he didn't want Kristen Bell to have to be in the show as much as she was in the first season, or she wanted to not be in as much as she was in the first season because it was very tiring for her. So to accommodate that is why he piled in all of these storylines. And while that's certainly true of other movies and shows that have gone on, that they've had to make certain decisions about a plot because of something that came up, That and sometimes it turned out great, and sometimes it turned out not so great, I guess knowing that, knowing how the wheels are turning here, maybe makes me like season two a little less, even though I do applaud the ambition and the messiness of it.
1: Yeah. I I, I totally get where you're coming from, Sean. And I totally, like, I could see, like, I get, like, the, um, like, you can see the ingredients in the cake and you see, you see behind the curtain. Um, that, and I, I think that point is completely valid. Um, and, uh, but even if you just look at the, at the main mystery of season two, um, how it was like denser, um, and more complicated in and of itself than the main mystery of season one, um, and not to like, not to ultimately it's like Sophie's choice really in, in like, I mean, it's not really like Sophie's choice, but it is, kind of, <laughs> I mean, it's not really like Sophie's choice, but, but metaphorically, like picking between season one and season two is very difficult for me because I love them both so much. But even the main mystery, like that one episode, like it's not called I am God. Is it? I am God. Um Yes. I think that that's one of the finest hours of and I think I said so when we talked about that episode but I think it's one of the finest hours of television ever put on television um I, the stream of consciousness f- flow of that episode and and kind of the kind of the denseness of that episode I it, it haunts me and it still haunts me to this day
2: now it is a very good episode, and speaking of that episode, uh, because one of the um, one of the characters in that episode is um, gonna help me lean on to my next point. Um, I mentioned this to Axel when I was writing to him, messaging him on Facebook about these. Although I enjoyed what you guys uh, were saying on your talk about this show, um, I believe Axel said this was the first show that Rob Thomas had done, and that is uh, not the case. Uh, it's the first thing he did, the first thing he created that went on for more than one season, yes, but... <laughs> Yeah. Before Veronica Mars, um, he did this show called Cupid, which was on ABC. Yes. Oh, they brought uh, the that back 90's. years later, right? Yeah. And um, it was it had Jeremy Piven, who most people know now from Entourage, as a guy who thinks he's the Roman god Cupid banished to Earth until um, he can bring together 100 Couples. And Paula Marshall, who played in I Am God, Rebecca James, a school counselor, and yeah, who funny. would also appear in the first season, she played um, Piven's psychiatrist. And the whole hook of the show was, is Jeremy Piven crazy or... Is he really the God Cupid banished to earth? Is he telling the truth? And the show basically never told you which way it was going. It always allowed for an interpretation of either way. It was a pretty good show, but it was stuck on Friday night or Saturday night. And you're right, Axel, they did bring it back after Veronica Mars, for another one season job with Bobby Cannavale as the, the Cupid role and Sarah Paulson played the psychiatrist. And it also got stuck on a bad night and uh, lasted only a season. And then um, Thomas was on um, a couple – worked on a couple show, other shows. He was on a David E. Kelly show called Snoop's. Mm. But then he left, and then he was on dawson 's Creek for a while and they sort of refer to that in season two in uh, Donut Run, where after Veronica has broken up with uh, Duncan or so we think um, <laughs> one of the things she 's listening to in her pot misery tour is paul calls i don 't want to wait
0: oh.
2: and he also wrote uh several. YA novels, one of which is called Rat Saw God, which is also the name of a episode title in season two. And he wrote, well, two screenplays that he wrote were, um, were uh, filmed. One of them was called The Fortune Cookie, which I never saw, but from what I gather, has nothing to do with the Billy Wilder, Jack lemon Walter Matthau movie of the '60s. Mm-hmm. And then the other one was a teen uh, YA at YA novel adaptation called Drive Me Crazy, yeah. with Melissa Joan Hart and another entourage guy, Adrian Grenier, oh.
0: aqua the original Aquaman. Yeah, if you've seen Entourage, <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. That is great. Yeah, cool, Sean. That's good background. Yeah, he he he. I remember uh, Cupid back in the day.
1: Yeah, and that's also a really. I did. I I never saw the show, but it makes me want to go back because that premise is so interesting. Like, is he crazy? Is he really the god of love? Um, it. I also love that actress who. I, I'm glad they brought her back. Really, just brought her back for that one episode in season two, primarily. But you're right, Sean. She did play kind of a pivotal role, a more pivotal role in season one, where for a, a hot second she was like a potential love interest for um for uh for Keith. Yeah, I, um, I'm so I, I'm sorry to interrupt. Ken. I just want to
0: say I'm gl- before I forget. I'm glad you brought that up, Sean, because we're talking lists that is my number one character that I wish had stayed on the show. It's Rebecca James. Yeah. I love, I thought that that would have been a great storyline. I thought her and Keith were great. There was chemistry between the actors. Yeah. I really, I, when I think back on little things like, Oh man, maybe had this person or could have been important. I think back to that. And I think that that was an interesting decision. And it was also so interesting the way that Veronica sabotaged that, you know, it really showed – it really kind of gave us a real insight into their – the bond that they had, but also the way that she was a teenager, you know, and didn't really accept that relationship. I mm-hmm. thought that was pretty pivotal, but I always think about
1: that character. So I'm sorry if you had something else to say. Oh, no, no, no. But speaking of that, that that's actually a great point, Axel, because that makes me think about Duncan – in a weird way, it makes me think yeah. about Duncan because like, I, I like that's a, that's a storytelling decision that I understand exactly why Rob Thomas made the decision to effectively end the character storyline and the character. I mean, like the character didn't die or anything, but effectively was written off the show yeah. and off the landscape of the, of the storytelling of Neptune. Um, so, and but my, like, I, I really liked Duncan as a character, and I thought he was weirdly, subtly complex. And, and the actor often did some really, he had some interesting moments, especially in season two. But then I even think back to season one, like during his quote unquote fits that he would have, um, that, were interesting. I mean, I, some, I, I think, but like generally speaking, a lot of people thought of him as vanilla to, um, to, uh, um, uh, oh no, <laughs> why, no, no, Logan? um, yeah, uh, why, why could I not remember his name? I love Logan. To like, often Duncan was thought of as vanilla to yeah. Logan's more complicated, colorful, flavorful ice cream, um, but, but Duncan was actually a really interesting character. I'd be interested, Sean. Like, do you think that? I, I know Rob has talked about writing Duncan off the show and and how he felt like that character storyline had come to an end and 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 there was also, I think, pressure on him. Uh, either creatively or from the networks to sort of focus on the romance with Logan.
0: Taking a little break from our Veronica Morris discussion to remind you to go to our presenting sponsor, CuffLinks.com, baby. Go to CuffLinks.com slash DVR and use code DVR20. Get 20% off your order, no minimum. That's right, baby. It's all there for the taken. If you like NCAA, NFL, Major League Baseball, NBA, Star Wars, Game of Thrones, marvel dc they've got everything hey man they got new stuff for the aladdin movie it's amazing stuff check it out cufflinks.com has everything along with those classic styles that just look good they're not they're not all genre stuff they've got the classic stuff too so go to cufflinks.com dvr and use code dvr20 today One of the best parts about podcasting is getting to know the listeners and making new friends. And one of those friends is Andy. You may have heard me mention him before on one of our many podcasts. And Andy and his wife, Claire, are looking to adopt. So if you or anybody you know is considering adoption for their baby, please consider the loving family of Andrew and Claire. They're a home study approved adoptive family of three living on a farm in Southern Minnesota with a dog, Barney and two turtles. They're able to adopt from anywhere in the United States and would love to answer any questions you may have to learn more about them. Check out their Facebook page at Andrew and Claire adopt or on Instagram at Andrew underscore and underscore Claire underscore adopt. You can also email them at Andrew and Claire adopt at gmail.com. So again, if you or anyone you know is considering adoption for their baby, reach out at Andrew and Claire Adopt at Gmail dot com. Thanks.
1: What are your thoughts about Duncan? How how that character left the show?
2: Well, I always liked him as a character too, although I was in the minority of the fans right. of. show not just the one not just because they want Veronica and Logan together but also they thought that Teddy Dunn wasn't that great an actor you know I thought that he was better although I do want to bring this up now um I know that, you know, a lot of people thought that he was acting weirdly early on in season two about things and that Veronica was letting it slide. And why did she? Um, But I also think that not only did, you know, Duncan hire Clarence Weidman to... Uh, kill Aaron Eccles at the end of season two, but it is my belief. And I think that if you go back through season two, you'll see scenes that don't state this, but imply it somewhat that Duncan convinced Kendall to go to Aaron to get him, get her, and him together to manufacture evidence to create reasonable doubt, so that Aaron would be acquitted of the murder, so that Duncan could have Clarence Weedman kill him in the hotel room.
1: That's really interesting because there, there's, a, there's at least two, there's at least one scene, but there's there's probably more where there's a conversation between Duncan and Kendall that we never hear the end of I'm thinking of the one where she comes out of the shower and then she's in his room for a while uh, as Logan discovers, I believe, but we never know what they actually talked about. They obviously didn't have sex. Duncan yeah. obviously didn't, didn't cheat on Veronica, but they did have a conversation. Yeah. So I think you're, I, I, that's a really fascinating theory. Um, I, I read that in your notes and I, I was ashamed that I'd never, picked up on that or or, or 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 dove into that kind of train of thought, it does make his character 1,000% more interesting if that's even remotely true, yeah. that he could be Machiavellian enough to not only plot someone's murder, but plot a way to get, because he, he would have been harder to get to in prison. So if he could get him acquitted where he's out in the open, then it's easier to take him out.
2: Yeah, and that's what. Yeah, that's the only way that you know I sort of buy the whole um, trial because one of my another one of my criticisms is season two, aside from the utility thing, and also the fact that in order to cover for the fact that Beaver or Cassidy was going to be a much more primary character in season two. They also had to put Dick in more scenes in season two and he's my least favorite character. Uh, But the other major criticism is, you know, there were a couple episodes of season two that didn't quite wash with me. And one of them was happy-go-lucky, and it was the trial of Aaron that, you know, it seemed like in their attempt to show reasonable doubt was in the minds of a lot of jurors, they put things in the trial that would not have been in a real trial, like um, Aaron's lawyer bringing up veronica having chlamydia for one thing Mm. you know that just didn't feel realistic at all
0: i think that that always felt that that part felt rushed to me because you also felt like wow you can do so much with a trial you know that it Mm -hmm. really didn't seem to delve as deep into it as it could have So I, i i see your i see your point of view there 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 i mean you know when you're on the 21st episode of a season you know there's it it takes time and i think that certain things got built up but yeah there there were things like that that happened.
2: And it's not the only and it's not the only trial episode that didn't go well. The one angry Veronica episode where she's on um jury duty that also that the whole jury room part you know did not feel realistic at all it was my least favorite part of that episode, so
1: boy um. I I take your point. Uh, I'm going to gently disagree with you, and <laughs> gently, ever so gently, like to me that uh, both of those episodes actually um, highlight the kind of stylized um, world that Rob created yeah. in my mind. Um, kind of the hard boiled, stylized um storytelling that he was i think ultimately trying to get to and the fruition of it was season four um kind of that noirish, like kind of hard-boiled where it's not like it's not it's not it's not a documentary obviously like that that kind of storytelling but it's familiar enough to seem plausible um uh, so, because it often in, in noir storytelling, there's detectives or there's cops or, um, but so I kind of like, I love the jury episode because I think it's like a little play, a heightened reality, stylized play where all these people are trapped in a room and they're trying to figure it out. And, you know, so to me, I kind of love the unreality of that, of, of that episode because it just seems like a, like a valve letting off steam kind of storytelling versus like, um, you know, uh, being a, a, you know, a tutorial I mean I I take your point Sean yeah. like that is probably not how jury rooms go and and there were probably w- maybe one too many leaps in that episode as far as the logic of the storytelling but and, but, oh, go ahead. I'll, but i'll I'll just repeat myself and say that kind of whenever Veronica as a show kind of dipped into that kind of stylized noirish kind of tone I always loved it and 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 like um, like Axel was saying about season four, like I do think that that was kind of the fruition of it. But yeah, that's why I love those episodes. Oh,
2: well, you we should also point out that the whole jury room plot is basically swiped from the uh, old 1957 movie Twelve Angry Men. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, great. True. They yeah. did. They
0: even had. There was a one time when one of the older men says something, and I could swear it was a line right from the movie. <laughs> there's, some, there's one yeah. specific line, and that even the way it was shot, like the because I, if I remember correctly, it's you're always. Um, it's hard to say in the room, but if you walked into the room, it would be to the far left. It seemed like it was always framed that way when I think of that film. But um, I wanted to go back for just a second and talk about Duncan.
1: Okay, because I'm glad
0: okay. we brought him up. Yeah, I really like Duncan. I yeah. always thought that the weirdness when I was, as time goes on, I kind of like it more. And even that weirdness in the beginning of season two, and I actually think the guy was a good actor. Yeah. And I was always, when I was watching, I was a, I, I didn't really, I didn't kind of want Veronica to be with. It, eventually, when it comes down to like pairing up. I always like Leo. That's my guy. But I kind of like Duncan because I thought that he very, I thought that the character, again, the high school thing, right? There's always those people in high school that start acting different. You know, it's a very strange age. You are, life is a mystery to you. You've got all these hormones, people, you know, their, your brain's not fully formed. <laughs> it's just, I thought that Duncan reminded me of a lot of kind of troubled kids that I knew in high school that worked their way out of it, that, or that, um, really were good people, but, um, had it. Had just a a whole lot of problems in their lives that really wasn't theirs. So that's why I found it a bit unsatisfying that the last we hear from him, you know, was the on the beach with the baby or whatever, and you know, ordering a hit. I always <laughs> wanted to kind of see more and. I understand why that happened. And again, it's economy of story. It's making choices, just like we're talking about with the courtroom stuff. And some of the times when the show stretches credulity uh, is because they, you know, making a network show here is a series of balancing act and they could, some of the things they could get really true and other times because of story, because they had to hit the commercial break. Right. They had to write to the breaks. They kind of had to move things along in a way that wasn't that realistic. So I always forgave that. But like you said, Ken, for me, the reason why I liked it is because it seemed that when they did that, they would then push the story to a socially conscious angle that was enlightening and interesting and heartwarming or a more noir kind of mystery angle, which I found to
1: be interesting and mysterious. So well, the, uh, I kind of, I kind of bought those points. The other thing is that, and the show did this a lot, not just with Duncan, Duncan's character, but it was an interesting take on the golden boy in yeah. high school, like that kind of archetype. Because um, there was a lot going on in Duncan's home life. There was a lot going on with his mental health. Yeah. There was a lot going on with just. I mean, there was a lot going on with him, like him getting a girl pregnant, um, and having to deal with being a father, a teen father. Yeah. So she's had a
0: girlfriend in a coma. You
1: right? know I, I mean, come on, you know, you know who he always reminded
0: me of, and it, 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 like I've always thought this, but I'm vocalizing it,
1: is Emilio Estevez in Breakfast Club. Interesting. That's really interesting. I can see that. Yeah, that's a really, I think that's a fair comparison. um, Because, right, like, I feel like that character from Breakfast Club would ultimately make a lot of the same choices. I feel like that character from the Breakfast Club probably had a similar father as Duncan did, and probably had a similar relationship with his father as Duncan did.
0: Yeah, it was interesting. I, yeah, I always like Duncan. Now, let's talk a little bit, since we're talking about kind of our guys, I would like to hear, because we know, what is your feelings? You talked a little bit about it, but i like to talk more, Sean, about, like, Logan. How, how do you think about the character of Logan?
2: Well, I never hated him like you did at first. You know, I always thought he was an interesting character. And I remember one of the things you didn't like about him was that he was too sarcastic. I would say that everyone in Neptune was sarcastic, except for maybe Inga, the uh, secretary at the car <laughs> station, and uh, Mandy, the girl from the episode Hot Dogs. You know, and I love, you know, everyone else is a snarker, maybe even backup. You know what yeah. it is? I think um, I think it was
0: that, you know, Logan was just so good at it that it maybe it just I don't know. My brother's very sarcastic and I have to say that Logan did and he's great at it. And I guess it's that he was I don't know, I guess I I didn't see the heart in it. You know, I felt like everyone else was kinda like joking with their pals where I felt like Logan was kinda mean.
2: Well, he had the whole um Terrible. You know, he had the whole troubled family life <laughs> as well. So, but you know, I loved like his inspirational quotes that he did. That was yeah. fun, and <laughs> was you good. know, the relationship with uh, Weevil was always very interesting. And um, one of this is the only other thing I'm going to do from your previous podcast. I'm going to correct you on. Um, Leo and Logan actually did meet, although Logan probably wouldn't have remembered it. It was in season one. It was in the episode Risky Business. It's the the 80s dance when uh, Meg takes Veronica to the dance because uh, Meg had seen way Veronica and Leo were looking at each other at the sheriff station earlier and put two and two together. And that was also when Veronica was helping Meg t- find her secret admirer, and it turned out to be Duncan. Yeah. And that was also the episode where Logan finds out once and for all that his mother really is dead. And so at the dance, Logan shows up dressed up like Tom Cruise in Risky Business. And Leo and Veronica have to pull him aside while they wait for Trina to come pick him up. So, again, Logan was drunk out of his mind. I remember that. So probably wouldn't remember. But, yes, he and Leo did meet in season one.
0: <laughs> and see, right away, Leo knew he was bad news.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although, as I recall, you know, after Logan left... Leo's that first remark about him was charming fellow or something to that effect. <laughs> well, the thing about the thing about
1: Logan, and I think you would have to admit this Axel is, and maybe it was just Jason Doreen's performance. I don't know what it looked like on paper, especially some of those early scripts, but there was a vulnerability yeah that would often sometimes shine through the snarkiness. Um, and there was like, um, there was a sensitiveness, um, to the way that he in, especially in relation to like his relationship with, um, with his mother, with, with a lot of the women in his life with Veronica. Um, and so, um, that often shined through and it, it was so often the most interesting thing about his character, particularly in the early days when he seemed like such a bad boy. Yeah. But then like there would be these little sparks of like sensitivity and vulnerability that would sort of shine through that would just make his character seem really interesting, that much more interesting and complicated.
0: Yeah. And I mean, when you think about his entire arc – up until the end, season four. Or is it the end because I still maintain he could be alive and it was just a secret government thing to get him to go to some other kind of mission. Um
2: You just keep thinking after all that's what you're good at. I know.
0: Well, when I'm wrong, you'll correct me, Sean. I'll be ready for it, buddy. Um I I really do think he's a wonderful character. I don't I don't yeah. want to get y'all wrong or anyone listening. I think he was incredibly written and you're absolutely correct, Ken, the vulnerable, those who are always so sarcastic and who are, that is an emotion, right? That is showing something. And he was troubled and Mm. he was always incredibly, some of the most funny lines in the series are his. I think that the actor did a fantastic job. And the changes that he went through um, are really incredible. And when I think about other television shows and and how characters have changed and grown – It it really is remarkable. And they did a wonderful job with him up until, like I said, by the uh, the end of season four. I still love Leo. It's just because I really love that actor. I think he's so amazing. So when I think of that, that's the same guy who was on New Girl and then all the other things I see him, and he has such range. I really think that, like, he's waiting for, like, A great director to find him and put him in something and really be a star because I I just think he's got so much in him and I think that also he always gave you know was just not as messed up as everybody else so he could help Veronica out but Logan definitely in the end comes around and I love the character and I really was pulling for him in season four and I thought. You needed you, – you, you guys are both – right. you needed that harshness of his character because that was also a defining aspect of the show, right? Yeah. Where people – when I talk about Veronica Mars with people, there are still some people who'd be like, oh, Logan is such an asshole in the first couple – you know, like they, they don't like him too. So I know it's not just me, but <laughs> you come to like him, you know? So
2: – um. This leads me to a question that I've uh, wanted to ask here, uh, which I also asked last time. So have you guys been able to read the books yet? No, no, I have
0: not gotten back into I started reading a football book, Mike Lombardi's <laughs> uh, football book.
1: I, I also have not read the books, but I plan to because there's two of them um, as um, – as I believe you, you, you talked a little bit about both of them um, during our last conversation. I'm very interested in reading both because, of course, I'm interested in anything that sort of fills in the mythology yeah. of of the story. Um, you know, so uh, at this point, I'm, I I might look for it on audiobook because with. My schedule nowadays, I find that m- maybe an audiobook is the best way to go. I don't know if it's available on audiobook if it's not then then I will definitely find some sort of time probably in the next six, twelve months to like read those two books but unfortunately no, I haven't either. maybe
0: I'll just call you up and leave you voice messages of when I read it Ken I'll just read it to you.
1: Oh, <laughs> and I can hear the dulcet tones <laughs> of the Axel voice. <laughs> That's great. Um, I mean, I'm I'm definitely I mean, just from the little I know of the books and 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 what you've said, Sean, I'm really interested in sort of fill. I'm reading them just because, like I said, to fill in the mythology and also just to like read another Veronica Mars adventure or an. Uh, do like experience another story um and you'll tear
0: into them i'll say i want to get to what you wanted to say sean but i will say i was like i think i got like 60 pages in like in a day and a half i just they're so you fall it you fall right into it you're in that world there's no like entry to it you know oh it's a book it's different no you're like right into it you're with veronica
2: Yeah, no, they're definitely both good. The only thing I miss from the books is that they're not told in the first person. So you don't really hear Veronica's voice in them. But other than that, I think they're both very good. And if Rob Thomas had decided to continue going on with books instead of going on the season four, then I would still have been very happy. You know, I actually liked them both likes both books better than the movie. Interesting. Yeah, man. They are.
0: I could tell from the pages that I read when I started reading it, Sean, I agree. I felt like I was reading another season. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas with the movie, I mean, I think, you know, Ken and I discussed, we lo- I thought that there was a lot of great fun in the movie. There was a lot, yeah. of a lot of good stuff. It was actually a lot deeper than I remembered. Uh, mm-hmm. after seeing it the first time um but there are h- very large portions of the film that are very fan servicey and you're just kind of living in the world and they just kind of relax for a second and you're with characters you know um and which i didn't mind but they only had a, a little bit of a time too i just think veronica mar's works better as a series than it does as a film
1: but I, or even- Oh, go ahead. Or, or even better, as like a focused mini series. Yeah. Um, because you know, the one thing that I, I can definitely agree with, especially since so much time has passed since the first three seasons aired, is that maybe 22 episodes was a little too mm-hmm. much. Um, especially for the second and, and especially for the second season. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, the first season was kind of perfectly plotted um, as, as far as everything goes, really. But especially the, first, the main mystery of season one. But, um, but kind of that lower qual- uh, quantity episodes, I think, really served season four because I think we got the most bang out of our buck, mm-hmm. particularly when it came to the main mystery. Yeah. Was
0: there something that you wanted to say about the book, Sean? because i diverted not
2: until you not until you've read them if there's okay. a season okay. five hopefully you have read them by then I and then we'll yeah. talk because cool. again there are things in there that i don't want to spoil so. okay cool all right yeah because cool. I, I will read them
0: maybe uh, that could be a podcast too when we when we yeah. uh read the books that oh that's cool. cool i like that because i definitely yeah. am yeah i picked up this uh i can't remember the name of it the mike lombardi f- i love that guy he's a football podcaster. He's from Jersey and he always mentions it every two seconds. So of course I have to listen to him. Um, but that's not Veronica Mars, is it?
2: No, no. <laughs> no. Um.
0: So um, I wanted, I wanted to bring up, we were talking a little bit about characters yeah. Um, and we had talked kind of about favorites. I would like to know who is your guys favorite, not smaller character, but maybe even only appeared in an episode or maybe a couple, but wasn't a huge character that you wish had been given a greater role or that you even just enjoyed what they gave you, um, throughout this series. Let me start you with you, Sean.
2: Hmm. That's a tough is one. A, is
0: this a toughie?
2: Yeah. I, I don't know. Um, I mean, I did like you guys. I liked um, Rebecca James. Um, I also liked and I wish they could have done more with uh, Wallace's uh, biological father. Yeah, agreed. Uh, played by Cress Williams, who yeah. I remember from uh, Friday Night Lights uh, playing Michael B. Jordan's uh, biological father. Um, you know, I thought, you know, as crowded as season two was, you know, they could have, uh, you know, I would have been happy if they did um, more with uh, him. Plus he was involved in one of the uh, many, many big Lebowski references on the show. <laughs> and um, the, uh, fourth episode of the season green Eyed monster when he tells keith that wallace's mom as or as he refers to him keith's old lady has something i like it back and keith says she's not my old lady she's my special lady friend
1: <laughs> yes how about you uh ken well you know i've I hate that you came to me because I'm in the middle of cheating and trying to look up this girl's name. Um, (laughs) Okay, I'll go. Um, No, okay, good. Do you want me to go? Okay. Yeah,
0: you you go. For me, it's Max. Uh, Of course. I love that guy. I love that dude. I just thought that he – because when he first – it was like kind of a little Logan-esque. Like when he first came on the scene – I wasn't quite sure of him. Then you like him. Then you're not quite sure. He pops up again. We see him briefly in season four, right? Yeah. I I really liked him. And I just thought that he could have gotten involved more in some way with the crew. I mean, it's, it, it's a connection to Mac, of course, um but I just always liked him, and every and it was just- there's just something about the actor too that I yeah. enjoyed' He's, he felt very real to me, yeah, um, I liked well, it how he was on the make, like Veronica, yeah. you know,
1: like he was well, older than he seemed. He was also an interesting take on like the nerd archetype, yeah, yeah because he had a lot more going on in his life than just being the nerd, mm-hmm. you
2: know, yeah. and I also say that. You know, one problem with season three, even though there are parts of it I like as well, is the problem that hit many a high school show, which is once the characters went to college, that the show sort of lost its footing. That, you know, the only show I feel that sort of survived this was Friday Night Lights because, you know, they basically said instead of following all of these high school characters to uh, college, they said, let's forget all of them once they graduate high school, except one or two, and then we'll put Coach and... uh, Mrs. Coach in another high school to deal with different high school characters. And Max, I will say, was one of the college characters who... You know, felt like someone you would have known yes. at college, or at least you would have Thank seen God. around at college. Yeah, that's
0: totally true. agree, brother. He was, I totally agree. And I like the way he just became like he was doing so good at his other things, he stopped going to class. <laughs> you know I right, He's right. Selling yeah. his yes. So he, I like that because I knew kids like that. I totally knew this dude who he wasn't selling tests. He was selling something else, but he just didn't <laughs> even go to class. You know yeah. I mean? Just like college became just like a town for him. You know what I mean? Like he was a businessman in it. And uh-huh. I liked that aspect because I felt that it, it was kind of a mirror to Veronica. And yes. I felt that they could have, but yeah, that was one aspect of season three. I enjoyed That's why I was so excited when he came back in season four, but then you didn't see him again.
1: <laughs> well, Well, also, it sort of drove home the point that Mac has a type. Like, she kind of likes the bad boys.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. So, okay, so here's – Here's my I I and and in in the time that you guys have been talking I realized it that my choice is actually a tie and I don't know why I had to look up her name because Sean just mentioned her a few minutes ago but the first person in my tie is actually Mandy from Hot Dogs and she appeared in another episode as well but yes M- Mandy should have become part of the Scooby Gang like it's a crime against nature <laughs> that Mandy did not become our series regular the actress is so interesting the character is so um quirky and i i don't know watchable oddly watchable she i, I said this when we talked about the episode that she reminded me of a young she- shelly duvall yeah kind of with all the ticks i agree of, um with kind of the big eyes and the Oh my god, I love Mandy so much. Um, I, I want to be feeling that they were gonna do more with. Didn't you get that feeling too? I ben? did too. Like I want to, I want to be Mandy when I grow up. And <laughs> <laughs> I love, I love Mandy so much. And I think Rob Thomas made a criminal offense by not making her a regular character. But okay, oh well. The second person in my tie is actually Butters, um, the principal's son. Like I, I really wanted that character to go somewhere I wanted to know more about him I wanted to I I wanted the relationship between him and Mac like I wanted more time with that I wanted that to percolate um I know a lot was going on in season two there was like a million other things going on in season two um but I sort of missed that Butters didn't get more play yeah I like Butters yeah so those would be my two choices Mandy and Butters mandy and butters
0: there's so many man when i sit when i when i look too and see all the different characters that popped up just once again a nod to the amazing casting that they did on this show like no one it's they just it, they never just said oh that looks good put him in you know it's like they read every single person they really were interested in them and there yeah. you know there's so many different other characters to pick from, um where else do you guys want to go?
2: well, um I was going to mention the one time that that didn't work for me, and that was the movie um, there were a lot of things I did like about the movie. I liked the You know, I like the dialogue was up to par from the first three uh, seasons. I like the fact that Veronica and um, Keith's relationship was still at the core. And I liked, I loved the high school reunion scene because, as you guys mentioned, it was a great way of bringing back everyone. For just like a tidbit from the series that didn't have anything to do with the mystery um, necessarily. Yeah. Even when uh, Principal Clemens comes in after the flight scene and wants to know, you know, how did this happened, and all of a sudden he sees Veronica and he says on the phone, never mind. <laughs> but, um, you know, Aside from the fact that I was never a Veronica Logan shipper, um my problems with the movie were basically the fact that um, Cobb, the villain of the movie, really wasn't an interesting villain for me as much as I like seeing the whole Freaks and Geeks mini reunion. Yeah. Because the neighbor who complains about the noise to Cobb, which makes him figure out that Veronica was listening in on him. And um Kristen Ritter, um that guy was the guy who played Mr. Rosso, the guidance counselor on Freaks and Geeks.
1: Interesting.
2: And but, you know, I didn't think he was an interesting enough villain also. I really wish Leighton Meester had been able to come back as Carrie Bishop. Yeah. Because without that, with another actress playing a the role, there's a certain emotional connection to the central mystery that you don't get. And if she had been able to be on in the movie, I think you would have gotten plus of course, She's a musician in her own right. So she would have been able to uh, do music in the movie maybe. And then, although I'm not someone who thinks the visual part should necessarily take precedence in a movie or on a TV show, I think visually the um movie did not look as good as the first three seasons or season four. Agreed. So those were my um biggest problems with the movie. Yeah. I Oh, go ahead, Ken.
1: I think you and I talked about it, Axel, when we talked about the movie, how the mystery did ultimately feel a little light. It was definitely Um, and it was not a great use of a great actor too. No, definitely not. And I one hundred percent agree with you, Sean, about um about the actor I um uh from Freaks and Geeks who who played the bad guy um Martin Starr. Thank you. Thank you, Martin Starr. Um who's who's done other great work and you should definitely go check him out. And if you haven't seen Freaks and Geeks, you should definitely go see Freaks and Geeks because it's a great television show. But, yeah. um, not a great use of that actor. Not a great mystery. There wasn't a great payoff. Um, like an, there, there wasn't a great emotional payoff to that mystery. It just, it wasn't extremely well plotted. Um, yeah, it did definitely feel slight. Um, There were other things to love about the movie, uh, thankfully. And you're right again, Sean, the dialogue throughout the movie, regardless of a slight mystery, was definitely on point. Um, And it definitely gave you an accurate um, view into the world of Veronica Mars if the movie is all you've ever seen. Because the dialogue was... was, um, uh, matched up with the television show, it still gave you like it was like a, a a great appetizer and and hopefully people who saw the movie became interested enough in the character to still go back and watch the seasons of television. Um, Definitely, but it but it also makes me think about like moments from the show. Um, you and I talked about this when we talked about. Um, I think it's season – is it season two, Sean, where the mystery of the week is who is Mac's parents, or is that season one?
2: That's season one.
1: Uh, that I, – I think I said this at the time, and I think it's still true. That may be my favorite mystery of the week, and it's definitely the only mystery of the week that made me cry. Um And affected me. I don't even know why it affected me so much emotionally. Um, But just that, I mean, beyond the fact that it's great storytelling and great acting, especially from Tina Majorino. um, But also the actress who played her biological mom. Like that moment where uh, Matt goes up to the car and, and they put their hands up. Oh, my God. Like just thinking about it makes me want to cry again.
0: Yeah, that was and that was a great aspect of the show Ken because yet again they were able to show both sides of that. Yeah. Clearly and neither was free of errors or emotional mistakes or anger or right? They yeah. both were just caught in this situation. And I think that that's what they really had a great way throughout the whole series right up into the end. Especially, I mean, you see what happened with Logan. Oh, go ahead.
2: And there's one other great buried piece of trivia in there. Really? Um, When Mac meets, who turns out, the little girl turns out to be a biological sister, she's reading The Westing Game, which is a kids or young adult novel, I'm not sure which, which is also about a about someone trying to solve a mystery and it's a young girl who ends up solving it. Interesting. It's a young girl like Veronica, so.
1: Oh, that's great. Wow. Um there's so many other moments like you and I talked about um uh Axel about the episode where Mars versus Mars where they're both on different sides of is the teacher a pedophile yeah. or did or did he sexually assault um uh the young high school girl. Um or the scene where at the end of season one, where Keith reveals that he is Veronica's father. Um, there's so many moments. I, I could go on and on, but in addition to how hard boiled and dark and noirish and well and intricately plotted this show is, the thing that I think will make it live on, maybe hopefully forever is the heart of the show um because without that if it had just been a brainy intellectual experience then i don't know if it would have stood the test of time but because it's both because it's both an intellectual experience and really a heart-driven experience that to me is why it will always remain a classic television show yeah. and that's that's a great point because you know
0: if someone says what do you think about Veronica Mars oh the- And I said, oh, yeah, you should go watch it. Oh, but that was so many episodes on the UPNCW or whatever. And I, you know, I watch streaming shows now. Maybe I should just skip to the last season and watch it. And I would say, no, don't do that because this is not a case in which I think to myself, oh, if only this show had come out 10 years later, it would have been blah, blah, blah. Right. I love it exactly how it is. And I do think that this is a case where the obstructions um, benefited them in a lot of ways and made them push the heart, right? And made them find that in the scripts and in the stories and in the mysteries and in the high school um, because they didn't want to just create a kiddie show. They wanted it to be real. They wanted to have real subject matter. They wanted it to be socially conscious, But as well, have great mysteries, be a compelling story with great acting characters and production. And they really did achieve that. So, though, in looking back, you know, as we notice, we're not talking a ton about season three, and that's okay. But still, some of those episodes are fun. And I'll never forget that fight at the end in the cafeteria. (laughs) That was amazing (laughs) that I kind of liked Logan for that, but there were always those moments, like you say, Ken. Yeah. Um, So I don't feel that way where are, there are some shows that I say, Oh gosh, if it was given another chance or it had been in this situation, I don't feel that way about Veronica Mars whatsoever. I love all those aspects of it. And some of the aspects of that more, I don't if we say it now, classic television style of storytelling, you know, with the twenty-two, twenty-four episodes in a whole stretched out over how many nine months that it's shown to you. I think they really were able to break through that for me and create a story
1: that goes beyond what their obstruction was. And well, also the the obstruction helped. Um, I I think it was always going to be there anyway, but maybe the the obstruction helped highlight uh, a counterbalance. Like Veronica Mars could be really dark, like seriously dark. And like some of the subject matter that they were talking about, whether it was wage inequality, racism, classism, um, sexism, sexual assault, rape, murder, like you can just go right down the list. These were, handled in a very dark uh realistic um painful often painful way so to have that counterbalance um was both refreshing needed and i think it helped fill out the story ultimately and not just make it a singular experience definitely um,
0: well, we've been going for quite a while here. I mean, we could probably go forever. Is there anything else that anyone else wanted to kind of bring up? or uh,
2: Actually, um, yeah, a couple of things. Sure. Um, one, since I mentioned it in the notes, um, a lot of the music that was used on the show was – you know, newer music that the characters would be listening to. But I was also impressed at how they used the older music on the show. They didn't just go for the obvious. They used it in interesting ways. And one of which, one of the types of music they used, which I'm amazed work as well as it did, was they went back to what's become one of the most despised types of music there has been. And that is the quote unquote, easy listening music of the seven days. They, um, since I, one of the stations I listened to growing up, um, played it a lot. I always have a soft spot for that, but, They used it well, like I remember in the scene in um, the first season episode, M.A.D., where Aaron is driving Veronica home after he walks in on her and uh, Logan making out in Logan's living room. And, you know, they're having a conversation which is very uncomfortable for Veronica because it's the whole father. This is even before she knows he's a murderer, but it's the whole father of the boyfriend talk. Yeah. And on the soundtrack is an old song called Me and You and a Dog Named Boo, which is a very somehow very appropriate to play during that time. And I also remember in season four, when Leo Veronica, and Veronica and Nicole are having, you know, a night drinking and dancing, they have a dance remix of an old Captain and Tennille song, Love Will Keep Us Together. Yeah, that's right. And even in the movie... When Cobb is, you know, going after Veronica after he shot Gia, uh, he puts on the speakers to sort of drown out the noise. He puts on the old Lou Rawls song, You'll Never Find Another Love Like Mine, you know, and I think all of those music cuts were very nice touches.
0: Definitely, definitely. What if I have to say, one of the things that excited me, it had been so long since I had seen – See, it's season three when they – For it was only – what was it? Maybe two or three episodes when they brought someone to play at the cafe that she's working at? Yeah, 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 yeah. And well, I, I always – That's watched, season but two, actually. Oh, that's yeah, season that's- two. Okay. I wish they had done more of that. Uh, I thought okay. that that was kind of fun. I know that was so popular at the time to have a band just like pop up. And yeah. now uh-huh. it only happens when you're watching The Bachelor and they go on their date and then some unknown band is playing. But they used to do that so off. And I really liked that. And you're right. Now, the use of music
1: was always great in this. Always great. Like you can't overstate it. And that was one of the things I realized upon the rewatch. I realized it 1,000% more how important um, the music, the musicality of Veronica Mars was to the storytelling, to the character beats. Um yeah it, just a really interesting at the time innovative use of music um to kind of underscore the story yeah. um really great stuff
2: and the score the well. other, yeah, yeah, the other thing I want to bring up that I think the show did um really um well, you well, actually two other things, the first thing is. The when you guys were talking in season one about the way Veronica would con people into uh, doing things. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a tidbit that I learned um, at the event in Austin. In the first several episodes, whenever Veronica was asking someone for a favor she tilt her head to the side a little and it's not clear whether this was Kristen Bell doing this consciously or unconsciously, but the writers noticed this. And in the Christmas episode that season and Eccles family Christmas, when uh, Weevil's, Weevil wins money at the poker game, it's at Logan's, except the money's gone. Yeah. And so Weevil starts taking things and Veronica is roped into trying to find out what happened to the money so that everyone can get their stuff back. And she goes into a classroom where Weevil is with the other PCHers and she's about to ask him to let her solve it. And Weevil calls her out on the fact that she's tilting her head. That's (laughs) the writers calling Kristen Bell out on it. And there's a couple of great callbacks to that. In season two, in the episode where we first meet uh, Jackie and Wallace, decides to try and find help her find out what happened to her car, and he calls Veronica up to ask her to help, and he tilts his head when he's on the phone with her. And then in season four, when Maddie is asking the kid to help their classmate to help out uh, find... Out who Big Dick was trying to pressure to sell to him on the boardwalk. She tilts her head.
1: Oh, that's great!
0: That's great. Um, I love that stuff. That just you know, there's just like a great company there when you could see them passing through, like from. The writers noticing something, and then you could see one of the actors picking it up, you know, and keep on yeah. going like that. And that just shows a great company of actors all working together. One thing I wanted to mention is um, where we we're talking about the cinematography of the movie. I just always think of that damn bridge where Weevil was shot. Like. <laughs> Yeah, that bridge was like all they used of Neptune. <laughs> you know what I mean, like, well, the well, great expansive shots they have in season four with the drones and going. Oh man, they let you see it, you know. But then, well, it's
1: like- plus, well, plus, that's a. I mean, that's obviously a real bridge, yeah. but that's a that's a bridge just outside of San Diego, and I've driven over that bridge many times. Really? Oh yeah, it's called the Cor- it's called the Coronado Bridge. Wow. Um, and it goes, it seems like it's going over the ocean. Um, because it is really, in fact, going over a portion of the ocean. The way the geography works, that's exactly what it's doing. Um, but it's a beautiful bridge. It's very kind of sleek. Yeah. And um, and minimal, but yeah. So it it was great to see it used to such great effect in that sequence. Yeah,
0: it just reminds me of kind of it, and that's like some of the aspects of the film. And Sean, you mentioning the way that the writers see something and it were. It's just there was always a feeling of creativity throughout, and that's why like when i was talking about how i don't i don't ever think like oh if this would came out later they could have done this because it's like it pushed them to be creative and even in that aspect of the film where they didn't have a huge budget right they just had to kind of find something that evokes the feeling through visuals and yeah maybe it didn't maybe the film too didn't look as great yeah. Uh, but they always kind of did their best. And that's why I always got this feeling of not that it was this huge production that you get when you watch like Game of Thrones or something, you know, or a lot of these streamers that, you know, they have like, if you turn the camera around, there'd be this huge crew and everything. I, Even though I know there's big crews working on Veronica Mars, I always got the feeling that they were kind of like a bunch of friends making something together. You know, and that really came out from the screen. And I think that when you read more about it, it seems like it really existed. And that's why I think that's why I still maintain I think that there will be more, whether it's a book, whether it's uh, more series on Hulu, another season. I just think that that's the thing that has kept this going for so long. And that's why we're sitting here talking about it is because they just really loved working on this and making this. And it was a story and an adventure, but it was also a way for a group of people to communicate your love and community and togetherness and something that is really meaningful. Well said. Well said.
1: That's the way I feel. Yeah. Uh, Have we reached the end? I think for now we have, I think we could probably put a button in it for now and then wait until you and I finally get off our butts and read the books. And then, (laughs) yeah, I like that idea. And then the three of us can sit down again and talk about that. I I think it would be great to actually talk about, once you and I've read the books, to, to get back together again and talk about how that adds to the mythology, how it alters the mythology, how it changes things that we thought we knew maybe. So I think I do think that there is uh, like it, it, I think that would be a really interesting discussion to have cool. once once we read the books. And then also, of course, if there once it is announced that there's a season five, and then that's actually on the air, of course, to come back and talk about it again. Yeah,
0: definitely. All right. Let's start with the first one. The fir- What's the first one called, Sean?
2: The first one is called The Thousand Dollar Tan Line. There you go. That's what we're going to start with.
0: I think okay. that's a great idea. Sean, is there anything else that you wanted to chat about, pal?
2: Um, well, since we're ending it now, um, I just want to say that in addition to the podcasts that you guys have done, and as I mentioned last time, the uh, recaps from, that were on television without pity, for people who want to dive into the show, Who are looking for some, you know, reference points. Um, Some of the fans on the show did a website called Mars Investigations, which is still up. It's called marsinvestigations.net, and it dives into the storylines, all of the references that were on the first three seasons... You know, not just all the Big Lebowski ones, but the Simpsons references and the old movie references, and even that episode from season three called The War of the Pies, which jammed in, like, references to, um, in addition to Big Lebowski, which they they, uh, did a shot-by-shot homage to in one scene, you also had Citizen Kane, National Lampoon's Vacation, a bunch of other things thrown into the mix. Oh, this is great,
0: Sean. Um, I'm looking at it right now. This is an amazing yeah. website.
2: Yeah. And then there's also um, – there. I don't know if it's still going on, but there was a series of books called uh, Smart Pop – which would be a collection of... Es- Each book was a collection of essays about different TV shows, some movies, some um, book series as well. And they did one on Veronica Mars called Neptune Noir. And if you can find that, it has a bunch of essays that are um, really good at exploring the show, including one written by... The guy who recapped the show for Television Without Pity, John Ramos. Cool. Who went under the name of Catch Baron.
0: That is awesome. Thank you for that, Sean. And I will do my best to remember to put that in the show notes. This Mars Investigations.net is a really cool site. Oh, I wish that they had uh, updated this for season four.
2: Well, we'll see.
0: Maybe they will. That's cool. All right. Well, this has been fantastic. Man, not only have I really enjoyed having you here, Sean, for these past two episodes. Thank you so much. Um, But of course, Ken, thank you for being on this journey with me. We're going to continue it. It's not over. Veronica's alive. Logan may be blown up. I don't think he is, but that's your, you know, that's what you think. That's your opinion. You know, now that I'm a Logan guy, I can't let him go um denial
2: is not just a river in Egypt
0: that is true that is true um but yeah thank you so much guys I'll let you uh uh you know I don't want to end it too much because we're going to continue on it I love the idea of reading the books and that was my plan to read it after I finished this Lombardi book so I think um I'm definitely going to do that it was so uh, like I said I got right into it it was like there's no like oh this is, you got to kind of get into it a little bit it's a book nope you feel like you're Right back in there. Um, cool. So, uh, Sean, I'll let you say uh, your finales and goodbyes.
2: Okay. Well, Axel, it was uh, great for you to have me on this. I really enjoyed doing these as well. kind I enjoyed talking to you too. And um, again, for those who are listening, I hope that... I hope that you check those other uh, sites out that, you know, they provide a good guide and, you know, I'm glad we got to talk about the show. Yeah.
0: Thank you, buddy. All right, Ken, you're up. Oh, okay.
1: (laughs) Well, Sean, it has been great meeting you. It's always nice meeting another, a uh, fan of things that um that I think are great as well and, and it's been great picking your brain and hearing your thoughts and yeah. making me think about things in a different way and it's just been great so um so it's been great meeting you but Axel going on this journey with you the whole journey we've been on uh recapping season 1 2 and 3 and the movie and then of course doing season 4 um has been great like i mean you and I met, uh, during the Game of Thrones period of our lives. Um, and, uh, you know, we, that was many years ago at this point. Um, and so now here we are still talking about things that we love. And it's, it's been great. Again, it has been great. Uh, it's always great. So I look forward to more. I look forward to talking about Veronica Mars. I look forward to maybe talking about other things. So, um, I, like I was saying a little while ago, it's, it, it'll be nice to put a button in it for now, but then to think we'll talk about Veronica Mars again. Um, but you know. For those of us who love it, it lives on forever in our hearts. Yep. So
0: <laughs> and we'll keep on getting people to watch it. I know yeah. that John Wambacker, who, who is a patron, longtime listener. He watched the series. Um, I no, think he watched correct. it. I think he may have watched it with his daughter, if I remember correctly. Um, from this podcast and other people have reached out. So thank you to everyone who's been listening. Uh, yeah. keep subscribed because we'll be back. You know, it's just uh, you hit subscribe. It's in your your podcatcher. You leave it alone. Once again, you you know, a couple days or years later, up pops a podcast. And uh, we will be back. This has been wonderful. Veronica Mars is a great show. I'm really hoping to hear a season five uh, is going to be coming at us because who knows? It sounds like now Disney's taking over Hulu. I think this would be something good for them. So we'll see how it works out. But until then, thank you all for listening. Peace out.